This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back. You're listening to The Morning Run with Chong Jensen, Philip C. And I'm Wong Xiaoning. It is 7.36, Monday, the 30th of January. And after the 8am news bulletin, we have a sizzling breakfast grill. For sure, this one is a definite big breakfast. Shazana Mokta speaks to Kairi Jamaluddin, former youth chief and health minister of AMNO, as he's been sacked from AMNO just last Friday night for violating party discipline. We ask him what happened and how will this impact his political career from now on. Interesting. So do tune in. That's going to be happening after the 8 a.m. News Bulletin. And by the way, if you want to follow that on YouTube, you can. It will also be live streamed simultaneously. Meanwhile, we turn our attention to Asia because while when the pandemic took the world by surprise in early 2020, many governments in Asia were the first to shut their borders, locking out anyone who wasn't a resident. And of course, this hampered the region's economy hard and early. And with China's economy shrinking by 8 8- 6.8% in the first quarter of that year, the first contraction seen since the end of the Cultural Revolution in 1976, while Thailand's GDP also fell by 6.1% compared for the entire 2020. Asia was also unique in that it may have been the first to lock down, but it was also slow to reopen. Some of COVID holdouts like Hong Kong, Taiwan and Japan only played catch-up in recovery with much of the world in the latter half of last year. And recovery from pandemic-related lockdowns in 2022 wasn't smooth sailing with the start of the Russia-Ukraine war in March 2022 that drove a surge in oil and food prices. So what headwinds is Asia sailing into and which economy would actually fare better than the rest uh, for this year at least? For some answers, we speak to Arup Raha. He is the head of Asian economics at Oxford Economics. Thank you for joining us. Now, in 2022, central banks will focus on taming down inflation. Will their focus shift in 2023? Well, hopefully inflation is likely to get buried sometime around the middle of the year. If you still look, it's, it's still there. It's been declining, but it's still there. So we don't really expect central banks. I think there may be, at least with the Fed, maybe one or two hikes left. And that means in most of Asia, uh, the rate hiking cycle is probably not over yet, although you can cite the end of it. Now, the next step after you've uh, been able to take care of that is to ensure that there is stability before you can move to rate cuts. Because the natural tendency is going to be wanting to reduce interest rates at some stage. Because inflation is coming off, that means real rates are rising. Economies are likely to struggle, uh, given, especially given that you know what the what the Fed is trying to do. It is actually trying to slow down the U.S. economy at some stage, which is uh, you know soften the labor market. You're starting to see that happen, but it's going to take a bit more time. So you're going to face a fair amount of headwinds, at least in terms of growth from uh, the rest of the world. So at some stage, you're going to be wanting to take interest rates down. So it's a it's a it's a it's a bit of a funny cycle in the sense that one of the uh, so-called uh, mantras in forecasting is don't try and look around too many corners. But in this case, I think we have to look around two corners. The first corner is when the rate hiking cycle ends, and that's probably soon. The second corner depends on how inflation comes down, because the growth outlook requires lower rates, but you can't lower it till inflation comes off. But we expect that by the end of this year, you should see inflation coming off, and that's going to give central banks more leeway. The pressures are going down. The dollar is weakening, so it's not putting so much pressure on the currency. Energy prices have come off, so it's not putting so much pressure on inflation. 
So the pressure on interest rates is going down, but it's going to take a while before you can get a move in the other direction. And I wrote, pandemic lockdowns have hit Asian economies hard and many were expecting the economic hit to be more serious than the past financial crisis. What were your observations on how Asian economies handled the pandemic and what changed this time? Well, this was a very difficult problem to deal with because there was so much uncertainty. Nobody knew the nature of the pandemic fully. Nobody knew the extent of the pandemic or how the how COVID would actually how long it would last, how intense it would be. So if you're a policymaker, the decision was a very difficult one. And what do you do if if you really can't get it right? What would you rather do? So, And and I think they did the right thing in most places, which is to say that if I'm going to make a mistake, I'm going to make it on the side of caution. I'd rather be wrong having having been more uh, careful than be wrong and having been easy and then having to roll back what is the wrong policy. So I think they did the right thing in how they dealt with it in most cases. And then if you look at the history of Asia, you know, crises are not new to us. You know, we have the Asian crisis, global financial crisis, dot-com bust. We've dealt with many. And, and so Asian central banks, Asian finance ministries, they become quite good at being able to deal with external shocks. And so I think in this case, Given that in most cases, the structure of the economy was relatively good, uh, balance sheets at all levels, uh, government, corporations, households were relatively sound. They managed to deal with the economic shock with reasonably stringent policies, but limit the extent of the shock because they could respond, both, both, especially with fiscal policy, to be able to cushion the downturn. The next stage, really, and this is this is this is going to be the hard one, is to look at what balance sheet damage has taken place across, and then how do you fix them? And that is going to take a bit of a toll in on, uh, say, the robustness of the recovery. It's going to because I think savings in the economy will need to rise at at, at least government savings. So fiscal policy will tighten, even as monetary policy uh, faces less pressure. China has reopened after three years, but can the economy return to the state of pre-COVID? And what are the biggest challenges ahead? Well, China's a very interesting question because, you know, the Chinese economy had been slowing for a decade before COVID hit. And COVID is uh, just made you focus on what are what are some of the issues, which is, you know, the, the China's old growth model of high savings, high investment. Uh, appears to be impaired, if not if not actually broken, because you have you have a the return to that investment has been going down. They've been trying to shift to a consumer-led model, but consumption to GDP really hasn't moved in twenty years. So China is facing a was facing a quite a serious challenge to its growth model even before COVID hit. COVID took the numbers down to a level that probably wasn't going to happen. So even after. COVID, now that the restrictions have been removed, I, I don't know how the, uh, you know, the uh, disease, COVID, is going to play out in the country. But if you go by other countries, you're going to see a short-term bounce in growth that takes place. And then you move to the structural issues because that bounce will fade. There's pent-up demand and, you know, you want to go out, see movies, go out to eat, travel, you know, so you'll see a bounce. But that will fade because ultimately there's an income constraint on how much you can spend. And then you get back to the old story, which is uh, which is that China is going to face headwinds. 
It is not the old growth model of high savings, high investment. It's not giving the same amount of returns. The good news is China knows that. They've been trying to move to a consumer-led model. There are various industries in which China is you know, a, a global leader, things like electric cars, etc., so it'll 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 be back, but I doubt you're going back to the China of old, you know, you know, where you saw magnificent growth rates, you know, uh, close to about eight percent for over forty years. That's not going to happen. It's it's maturing. Uh, the model is changing, and it's looking for new sources of growth. It's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting but difficult road ahead. So, Arup, what's the outlook then, you know, at the end of the day for Asian economies in 2023? And which country will actually fare better? Well, I told you the country that we think will, will do reasonably well, which is India. Uh, we're not, we're not, you know, we are not uh, pessimistic at all on, on Asia, but I don't want to, I want to uh, trigger that by saying we are not that optimistic either. Uh, it's going to be a difficult year. It's a year of consolidation. Uh, there have been the global economy is not going to be friendly. Uh, global growth is not going to be friendly. You are dealing with interest rates that are higher than what we've been used to for a while. You're dealing with a China that's slowing and it's not going to be you know, a great engine of growth for the economy. So if you look at the various headwinds, you know, some of it is obviously you know, they're fading because COVID is going away. Uh, you're not facing the same sort of uh, bottlenecks in the economy, so efficiency will improve, inflation will come down, etc. So that's the positive side. The negative side is obviously what's what what is happening with uh, interest rates, what is happening with the global economy, and the one thing that we are not sure of, we don't have the full information, is what has been the damage to various balance sheets, governments, households, firms. We know that there's been damage over the pandemic. People haven't worked. Businesses have had to shut down or have faced headwinds. You know that governments had to run up large fiscal deficits and how that will constrain growth. So I, I view this more as a year of consolidation, which is fix your balance sheets, deal with the headwinds that are coming your way, try and ensure that you stay on a, on a, on a good growth path going most likely from next year. This is a year of consolidation, really. Thank you for your time. That was Arup Raha, Head of Asian Economics at Oxford Economics. Up next, we're going to be discussing Singapore's HDB Affordable Housing Scheme. Stay tuned for that, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.